Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of Odyssey. Odyssey is an intensive six-week workshop for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 16 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast number 17 is an excerpt from a lecture Shauna McCarthy gave at Odyssey in the summer of 2006 on selling your stories to magazines. The text of this recording is copyright 2006 by Shauna McCarthy. The sound recording is copyright 2008 by Odyssey Writing Workshops. Well, okay, we'll talk a little bit about magazine editing. Um, I've been editing short fiction for, well, short and long fiction for about 25 years now, science fiction. I was uh, the assistant editor and then the editor-in-chief of Isaac Asimov Science Fiction Magazine for seven years, and I won the Hugo for Best Professional Editor while I was there. Uh, I discovered people like Connie Willis and Ian McDonald and Lucia Shepard, people like that. And I left Asimov's and went on to help found this Phantom Spectra imprint at Bantam with Lou Veronica, where I published, again, Connie Willis, William Gibson, Lucia Shepard, Greg Bear, a lot of people. I did that for several years until I had my first child and then took a year off and went back and did non-science fiction related stuff. Then I took another year off to have another child <laughs> and came back as a literary agent. I've been agenting now for about 15 years. But on the side, because I always regretted having left Asimov's to go and do long-form fiction, I started a magazine called Realms of Fantasy. I've actually lost track of how many years the magazine has been around. I think probably 13 years that we've been publishing. I founded it, I started it, I've been the only fiction editor. My job at Realms of Fantasy is somewhat different from what I did at Asimov's in that when I was at Asimov's I handled all the production issues and all of the publishing issues as well as the sele fiction selection. The Realms of Fantasy gig is more a labor of love than anything else, so all I really do is read the fiction submissions and tell people when I'm buying their stories and just send them off electronically to the publisher's office in Virginia. I set up the columnists and I selected what the various topics are going to be like. I don't have anything to do with the gaming and media columns, so they vary. And the art is selected by the publisher, so I don't have anything to do with that. So, you know, all I really do is read manuscripts. And because it's a labor of love and I don't make very much money doing it, when people ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a literary agent because that's how I make my income. So. I don't really have time to devote the way I did at Asimov's to reading every single slush submission that comes in and, you know, writing personal rejections and the things that I used to do back there. And I'm sorry that I don't have time for it because it was one of the things I liked the best. But I do have an ex-Odyssey graduate who is slaving away reading slush for me and he's also helping to run the website for Realms, which is good. Doug Cohen, I don't know if anybody knows him. So Doug does the, the first read-through and People want to know what I look for in stories, and it's very hard for me to quantify it because I'm always looking for something new and interesting and something good. And 
It drives me crazy, too, personally, as an agent, when I go out to lunch with editors, and I say, so what are you looking for? And they say, big commercial fiction. I say, if I'd only known, I would have said it. <laughs> you know? I can't believe you're looking for that. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, so when I say I'm looking for good stories, I'm sure it's every bit as useful as an editor saying to me that they're looking for good commercial fiction. But I know what they mean, <laughs> and I know if I have it or if I don't. So in the same way, I know if a story is good or not, and it one of the main reasons that people get rejected, you have to keep in mind that it's a bi-monthly magazine, Realms of Fantasy. And it's a small bi-monthly. It's got 96 pages. And if I publish five or six stories an issue, that's about average. Over a bi-monthly magazine, that's... Uh, if I got in six stories in every issue, that would be 36 stories that I can buy every year. 36. I get, I think it's generally about 250 or 300 submissions a month. So, you can do the math. <laughs> um, the odds on getting published in Realms of Fantasy are vanishingly small. However, it happens. I've published a lot of Odyssey grants, as I've discovered talking to Susan on the way over. And most of what you would think of as competition isn't really. 90% of what comes in is utterly unpublishable. It's completely, without question, something that's going instantly back. The slush survivors, most of them are okay but they're not quite good enough to make it into the 1% of stories I buy. What it is is that's that, that one thing, that something new, that spark, that you know, grace with language. Most of the stuff that gets past the first cut is fine. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing right enough about it for me to want to give it one of the few spaces that I have available in the magazine. The other difference about publishing a magazine is it's got my name on it. You know, if something comes out in Realms of Fantasy, you know that Shauna McCarthy read it and published it. Everything that's in the magazine is something that I've read and I've liked and it's got my name on it. When you're a book editor, unless the author is kind enough to thank you in the introduction, no one ever knows who bought a book. In fact, I don't think most readers are even aware when they're reading a book that, oh, this is an ace book, this is a door book, this is a bantam book. I don't think people really even notice. I know I never did when I was just a casual reader. So you have a lot more leeway in book publishing as an editor to not have to love everything you publish. <laughs> you know, you can say, well, this is commercial, and I'm sure people will buy it, and no one will point their fingers at you and say, oh, sell out. <laughs> um, so I like the uh, variation I can do with the short fiction. Another thing that's interesting about short fiction versus long fiction is that when a short story is almost right, it's really pretty easy to fix it. You know, if it's that close to being publishable, I can generally say, you know, if you would just make this character go to the library instead of the supermarket and have them look up something that will make the rest of the story make sense, you can save a story that way very easily. With a novel, when they make a mistake on page 10, it will reverberate for the next, you know, 350, 400 pages, and it's a lot harder to fix that once, once they've gotten off track. I don't know if Jean has talked to you at all about the differences between short fiction versus long fiction in terms of craft. People tend to think of short story writing as, as sort of a, an exercise yard for you know, getting onto the big form. And it's really not, because it takes a whole different set of skills, I think. When you're writing a short story, every word has to count. You know, nothing can be extraneous. Everything that's in there has to be there for a reason. If you're going to show us what kind of car somebody drives, it had better be there in order to illuminate this character. If somebody drives a Jaguar, that will teach us something about that person. If somebody 
drives a beat up old pickup truck. That'll give us a clue about what kind of person it is. But if you're not doing anything, if you're just saying, well, he went down the street and got into his Mustang, but you're not going to make the fact that he owns a Mustang be an important part of his character, take the Mustang out. We don't need to know what kind of car he drives. Everything has to be important. Every sentence has to hold weight. Every scene that you show, every word that they say has to be important to where the story is going and why you're writing it. And that could be a drawback for some people when they start to write long fiction because they'll feel that the same necessity to compact everything will apply. And it doesn't necessarily. You do have a little more room to, you know, describe the house that they live in and the, the block and whether the trees were green or, you know, that the birds were singing that you don't necessarily have in a short story. Your, your novel can look like a neutron star if you're not careful. And then there are people who feel the opposite way, which is like, oh my god, now I have, you know, 100,000 words, I can just spread out and say whatever I want, and I'll get back to the plot eventually. And that's not something you do either. So I think it's a very different skill set involved in writing short fiction versus writing long fiction. I don't know what else you might want to know about. Do you have anything that you want me to talk about? Yes? Uh, you have a wide range of different types of stories in magazine. Do you have a system for, you know, choosing different types? Or is it just instinct? Or no, it's just whatever happens to come in that I like. I mean, Carl, the publisher, is always after me to get more high fantasy in there, but high fantasy, I found, is very difficult to do well. And I want something that will be distinguishable, that people say, oh, well, that's a really interesting story, as opposed to, oh, here's another story with, you know, a swinging sword and some elves and a unicorn, which is so often what you end up with. And, you know, he likes some more heroic fantasy in there. And, again, I don't want to redo Conan over and over and over again, so it's tricky to get that kind of thing. But generally, one of the things that I always like is something that's a little bit different. I like stuff that is not your basic Nordic or, or Celtic fantasy. I like it when people go into other, you know, cultures and areas, you know, Chinese, Egyptian, American Indian, Aboriginal. Years ago, Michaela Rosner Herman wrote a really wonderful book for Bantam, whose name escapes me right now, and I edited it and I bought it. <laughs> I cannot remember <laughs> what it was, but it was set in, in the Aboriginal culture, and it was about dream time and, you know, the encroachment of white people into that dream time and that dreamland and what it was doing to the culture of the Aboriginals and the fabric of the world at the same time. So that kind of thing I think is very interesting. I've seen enough of fairy and enough of uh, Olympus and the feasting halls and stuff. So yeah, that kind of thing always interests me. I like slightly controversial things, things that, something that would make you stop and say, well, is that what I think it is? You know, are they really writing about that? <laughs> yeah, I like that. But a lot of it has to do with just what comes in. You know, I can't manufacture things if they don't send them to me. So, is there anything else people were particularly curious about? I had a question. I, I wondered if there are certain kind of plots that you just see over and over and over again. I see the little shop that wasn't there the next day a lot. I see the, uh, the hidey hole under the stairs that leads to another dimension a lot. That one dates back to C.S. Lewis and beyond. Um, what else do I see? And if that's not to say again, uh, certainly there's there's always room for another little shop that wasn't there if it's if it's done well. You know, they say that there are only what nine or seven basic plots in fiction to begin with anyway, so it's hard to come up with something that no one has ever done before. Oh, Adam and Eve and the baby being born. Um, what else? The 
aliens saying, let's call it Earth. Um, variations on fairy tales. I like them, again, when they're well done. But when you're basically just retelling the same old story without doing anything different or interesting with it, then that I see a lot, and I see it too often. Um, so yeah, okay. <laughs> what else? Yeah. Among the ones that actually he actually hands up to you, then what are the single most common reasons that you turn it down if there's a specific thing for, or unless it's just a matter of a, something feels better or seems better? Um, mostly they're just not that good. I mean, they're okay. Nothing new about them. There's nothing new. There's nothing interesting. But one of the other problems I see fairly frequently, and I think that people tend to overwrite just insanely. I mean. They'll just take, you know, a $50 word where a $5 word would do, and then they embellish on that, and before you know it, it's all curly cues, and it's all over the page. And it's not necessary. You know, don't, don't mistake overwriting for description or for character or for style. I mean, style is something you'll develop as you grow as writers. Using all sorts of dependent clauses and $50 words and flashbacks and reflashbacks and flash forwards, that's not gonna help. That's not style. That's just overwriting. So that's that's a fairly common problem too, is overwriting, just nothing particularly new about it. Another thing that happens is that it's too similar to something that I that I just bought. That can happen too. Um, something else that happens is people plagiarize a lot. I don't know if you're aware of this, but people plagiarize a lot. And anyone can get caught with it. I mean, by a plagiarist. It happened to me once at Asimov. I published somebody who rewrote a John Steinbeck story that I had just never read. And I got a lot of mail on that. <laughs> and, you know, the person was forever banned from the pages of my magazine and everybody else's once I told everyone about it. But people think they don't really understand copyright, especially in this downloading day and age when, you know, pretty much everything is free on the internet, they just think, well, Star Trek, I like Star Trek, I think I'll write a story with Captain Kirk. You can't do that. You can't write a Star Trek story, you can't write a Star Wars story, you can't write... Um, you have to be careful in terms of, of not stealing from television shows, not stealing from movies, not stealing from other people's books, not saying, oh, wow, what a cool idea, I think I'll, you know, write my own little, you know, sub-genre of Gone with the Wind. You can't... That, that's not a good idea. The text of this recording is copyright 2006 by Shauna McCarthy. The sound recording is copyright 2008 by Odyssey Writing Workshops.